Awesome. Well, speaking of kids, we want to dismiss our kids uh, to children in worship. Uh, that's for ages three years old up to fifth grade. Uh, they get to go and hear God's word on their level and just have a great time and have some amazing teachers back there who are loving on them. And also we do have our nursery as well um, that is available to you guys to take advantage of. Or if your kid rebels like mine does sometimes, maybe they can just hang out with us. So that's how it works. Uh, so we, we just love kids. Uh, I always say, you know, a church that's just quiet without kids is a sad church, the dying church. And so we love kids. We love to invest in them. We know that God has a plan for them. And we even love sometimes their noise. Um, you know, maybe if you're not sitting right next to them, right? But uh, we love their noise. So um, actually, I was just watching these two little girls over here dance, and I was like, Hey, you got, I don't have girls because they would stomp all over me, you know, <laughs> so cute. Um, all right. Well, uh, God has got some amazing things for us today, and I'm just looking forward to just being in this series of infectious faith and what that means. And, um, you know, a, a couple months ago, I got to go to my first NFL game. And I got to go over to um, Las Vegas and go get in the new stadium that Raiders got. Um, and it was a Christmas present, and I was all excited because I just really wanted to go see an NFL game. I'm not the biggest sports guy. Like, I, I, a lot of you are like, really, you went, right? Um, but I just wanted to have that experience of being there. Um, I'm not a Raiders fan. They were playing the Chiefs. I really wanted to see the Chiefs. I thought that would be cool. Um, but my team wasn't playing, so I was just enjoying the experience. And so uh, when we went out there, um, we had a time that we had to just sit outside the stadium as we are getting checked in. But... There was something that caught my eye. There was a, a man across the street from the stadium, and he had a big sign uh, that was posted that said, repent, right? And then he had a, a megaphone on him, and he was just in there uh, saying, you know, you guys need to repent, you need to come to Jesus, and just stuff like that. And so we had some time, so I just was listening to him, just trying to hear him out. You know, what, is he, what does he have to say? What's his message? And, uh, you know, he was doing a lot of talking and all that, and there's just something started all of a sudden this in my head, I started thinking, what would happen if I just went up to him? If I went up to him and just said, hey, tell me about Jesus, what would he do? Would he still talk on the megaphone? Because that would be loud. Uh, would, would, would he pray with me? Would he help me get connected to a church? Uh, was this man doing what we're called to do? I mean, should we put up an effort, a little fundraiser, so that when you exit the church today, you get a megaphone and some cardboard and you need to hit the streets, you know, and that's what we should be doing. Maybe. Maybe that's what we're called to do. And so I just wanted to take a moment to kind of even think about that. What are we called to do? Who's called to share that message? How do you get that call from God to be that guy? Or is that something else? Uh, I think those are some big questions. Before we just write people off, I think it's sometimes it's good to consider, hey, maybe they're doing something that's worthwhile. Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm blind. And so as we look to God's word, which is where we should get all of our information, where we should get everything that we're going to do from, uh, to have a basis of scripture there of the why we're going to do this, uh, I, I want us to just go in looking to answer a few questions. Who is called? Who is called to share God's word, to share God's message? Who's called to share their faith with other people? And to whom are they called to share it to? So who are you, who's called, and, to, and who's their who, in a sense? Uh, it's a lot of who's, I know. But. 
So that's, those are the two main questions that I'm going to be trying to help us to answer today. And to answer those questions, I want to go to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 10 as well, partway through it. And really what's happening here is that, uh, you know, this is when Jesus is kind of uh, gathering up the disciples for the first time, and he's going to be sending them out for the first time. And so he's going to be commissioning them. He's going to be telling them what they should do or not do. And so we're going to look at that and see if we can find some answers. And so we're going to be starting Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And this is what the word of the Lord says to us today. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So, some context of what's happening. This is the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, uh, his account, he's primarily focused on uh, writing to other Jewish uh, people, other Jewish uh, you know, communities, people who are looking for the Messiah. And so kind of the thesis of his gospel is trying to answer that question. Is Jesus the Messiah? And his statement would be, yes, Jesus is the Messiah because he answers all these prophecies uh, because of the way he lived out his life, the way that he died. And this is how he answers those questions. Those, all those promises and prophecies from the Old Testament, this is how Jesus checks all those boxes. And so that's kind of the, the main thing that Matthew's trying to prove through his gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for and the Son of God uh, that, you know, provided the way for us to be reconnected to God. And so he's speaking primarily to those types of people, the, the Jewish community, the Israelites, more than anything else. But we still have a lot to learn uh, from his uh, gospel, obviously. Um, and so... As we, then that becomes way more important in chapter 10 that we're going to see. But we notice something that's happening here in this uh, section of Scripture. Jesus, this is kind of like when he is starting out. This is the, the, he's getting very popular right now. People are paying attention to what he's doing. Uh, he's kind of getting a following of people. And it's interesting, he's going from town to town to town, and he's sharing his message of the kingdom of God is at hand, and he's providing healings. Again, these are all things that the prophecy said that he would do. And then he has this moment where he turns around and looks at the crowd. Verse uh, 36 says, says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the people, and he cared he saw how lost they were. He, he saw how confused and helpless they were. And he was moved to do something, to get involved. You know, it's interesting. Every time I've read this scripture before, I, I've had this moment where I read it and I think, these poor people. These poor people, they're so confused and lost without Jesus. And Jesus has to take care of them. How silly. And I, I don't know where I got this idea from. I'm just like these silly people trying to follow Jesus. You know, the, the poor, poor them. And as I was reading this this week, all of a sudden, God, as he does, 
he pokes me, right? And he says, you know that's you, right? You know that's you without me? Confused, helpless, not knowing exactly what you're doing in life? That's exactly where I found you, Greg. And I was like, oh, yeah. Thanks for just, you know, beating that pride down a little bit more, God. I always need that, that moment. But that's exactly where he is. He sees us. We're helpless. We're confused. We have nothing to offer. We are just bumbling around in this world without God. You know, if you thought that uh, Christianity is a, full of a bunch of people who have their lives perfectly together, that never make a mistake, always judge people because we've never struggled or anything like that, then I'm going to tell you, welcome to Sunrise Community Church. This must be your first time visiting. Because, no. So if you've been around, you're going to be like, these people, yeah. Yeah, we're a mess without Jesus. And we're, we're open and honest. We've come to terms with that. That's why we say we're not enough. We're, we can't do it, but we believe in Jesus. We follow a God who is enough. Thank you. Who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who loves us dearly. And we've committed our lives to following him. It's not about us being great. It's about seeing his greatness shine through our lives. And so, no. We aren't anything to look at, but because of God, you can maybe see parts of him in our lives. And that's worth looking at. And so Jesus sees him. Jesus sees the crowd, and he has compassion. I love this because I want us to understand that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at in life today. Jesus sees you, and he has compassion on you. He's not there condemning you, striking you down, making all this chaos happen around you. He's just trying to help you understand who he is, and he loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to follow him. And so I love this moment because he then looks to his disciples, and he says, look what I see. Come, look. See the people that I see. And he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. You know, I've been uh, a Christian for a little while now and working in churches and getting to know other churches. And in all of my time of being in school and everything that's happened, I have never, not once, ever talked to a church leader who said, you know, we are just so full of servants. We just don't know what to do with them. We're doing all the work. We're stocked. Every church, no matter how big or small or whatever, have always said, we just need more volunteers, we need more helpers, we need more workers for the harvest, because there's so much work to be done in this world. And Jesus is identifying that right here. So he tells to the disciples, hey, pray, pray for more workers, pray for people who can care for God's people. And what I love about this, I love the intentionality of God. Because right after that, we get into chapter 10, and you know, you're going to notice what he does here. He points out to the disciples, pray for workers, and then in chapter 10, he's now going to commission those same disciples to be the answer to the prayer. They are going to be a part of the answer to the prayer. So let's just jump into chapter 10 of Matthew. Verse 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And gave them all, uh, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus is bringing together his crew together and empowering them to do the work that he's been doing all this time. They've been following him around, seeing what he does, and as he, they see him, 
do all these miracles, to do all these cast out spirits, all this crazy stuff. He says, now you're going to do what I've been doing. You're going to go through all these different places and do these things. But Matthew makes sure to point out that it's not them who are doing it. This is God's power. This is Jesus' power pouring into his disciples, and it's uh, Jesus' power, not their power. So continuing on and uh, verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So a few things that I want to highlight from this scripture, this section, is first we get our first answer. We get our first answer to our first question, which was, who is called to share their faith? Who is called to, to be the ones going out there and sharing the message of Jesus with other people? And it is the disciples of Jesus. Anyone who is a disciple of Jesus has this commission on them. Pastor Russ talked about this last week. That anyone who is called a Christian, anyone who is a disciple of Jesus, anyone who follows him is called to share the faith with people. When Jesus gives them this command to go and make disciples of the world, this commandment is a commandment that continues on. It's not just for those disciples. It's one that continues on for generation after generation after generation of Christians. That all of us, every Christian, if you, if you call yourself a Christian, if you follow Jesus, if you know who God is, if you know who Jesus is, that he is the son of God who became a man, died on the cross for us, you believe that then you have this duty to share your faith. So then the big question is, well, to whom? Who are we to do that? Well, we'll get there. So who is called to share the faith? Every Christian is called to do this. The second thing that we can pay attention to is the fact that Jesus is kind of putting limitations of where they should go. You notice that? He said, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. And so you might be thinking, wait, what, what's, what's going on there? What, weren't there people around there that could have used hearing uh, Jesus' message even then? You know, what about the people who didn't have that yet? I mean, why couldn't they go to those places? Why was he kind of putting up these boundaries? Well, for that, we should uh, pay attention to the fact that God had been working with the Israelites for a very long time. We can track that back all the way to Abraham. And uh, we see in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 7, where it actually says that God is uh, taking the Israelites and saying, you are my people, I care for you, you are the people that I'm going to work with first. And that they were supposed to then bring the good news to the rest of the world. And Paul talks about this in Romans 1, 16, where he says, first the uh, salvation came to the Jews and then the Gentiles, and this was kind of their right. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, if, if my wife and I wanted to adopt some kids, but we were neglecting our own kids currently, I think that whoever was in charge of that would probably say, you probably should take care of your first kids, right, before you go and adopt some more. And in a sense, that's what God's doing. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm helping my people that I've chosen to get right with me, to have that first chance at salvation, 
And then I'm going to go out and start adopting all over the world, adopting them into the family. And so that's, what, uh, that's the limitations, but we also know that this is temporary. This is just a moment that God is doing this. Because then we see in Acts, actually, one of the disciples who's presently hearing this command not to go to those places yet, uh, he, he's going to be the one that now then takes this message to the Gentiles because God commanded him to do that. And so we know that this was for a moment. It's not like this limitation applies to us today. But I think there's something else we can take from this. And that's the fact that the, the disciples are actually being called to just go to who they know currently to share the good word, to share the message of Jesus, that the kingdom of God has come near. He says, don't, don't go way out there. Don't go way far away to start doing this ministry. Do it locally now, here. Who's around you? I mean, really, when you think about it, they're bouncing from town to town. This is a small community. This isn't like going all throughout the United States. This is much more like just hanging out in California. And he's saying, go through all these different communities and do this ministry locally in your own town, in your hometowns, in, the, in, your, in your cousin's hometown, the, where your relatives are, where your friends are, where you've done business before. Go into those local communities and share my message. Don't go far away. Do it here. And I think that's something for us to pay attention to. You know, when we think about who are we called as Christians to share the message of God with, the answer kind of is a question itself. Who's around you? Where are you at? Where are you spending your time? Who, who are you uh, stuck with for 40 hours a week? Who's on your kid's baseball team? Any of those kind of things. Who has God placed around you already? Now, I love this idea because I think it, it really highlights something I believe to my core, and that is that God is a God of on purpose. God is a God of on purpose. It means that he's strategic and where he places you, those doors he opens up for you, the job that you have, the community that you're a part of, the classes that you've taken, the, the, the teams that your kids have been put on, uh, all these different things, all these different places that he has spread his community, his people throughout all of Tulare County, from Pixley to Visalia to Hanford to all, all kinds of places. Sorry if I missed your hometown, but he's there. But he's in all of those places. And he strategically placed his people in those places to do his work. What if your neighborhood is your ministry block? Is where God's calling you to open your house, to open your your, your, your family up a little bit to share God's message with your neighbors? What if it's who else is on, the parents on your kid's team or in that club or in your, their classroom and you're going to connect with the other parents there? Or, or maybe it's just uh, if you're a student who's sitting next to you, God's strategic where he places students. I tell the youth this all the time. You think God placed you in that classroom on accident? You think he put those, you know, other kids around you on accident? No, he's very intentional. Maybe those friends are the friends that need to hear about Jesus. He's a God of on purpose, and he, he gives us purpose everywhere we go. Not to force the Jesus conversation, as Russ referenced last week. Not to always be like, uh, hey, how's it going? Did you hear about Jesus? But in those moments of just living differently. 
And what's interesting is is Jesus is now going to give us advice about living smartly. So let's continue on starting uh, verse 16 of chapter 10, uh, going to 20. This is Jesus' words. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local uh, councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, which I, I thought was so interesting, when they will arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. And, that, and at that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So there's two things that Jesus is really highlighting to us. He says, be smart, be holy. Be smart and be holy. You know, I I was thinking about this. Uh, Jesus is the perfect example of how to do both of these things, how to live this way. Uh, He was walking around all the time, and he was making a lot of people angry because he was telling them they're sinners, uh, that they needed to change their ways, even those super religious people. And so he had a bunch of the religious people uh, constantly following him around, just watching him all the time, trying to find that one thing that he did wrong so they can say, ha, he's a sinner just like us, right? He's messed up. He's not the son of God. Every day, Jesus had people like that. Just imagine for a moment that this would give him an effort somehow in sunrise, which would mean that like all your pastors had changed, but, and elders and everyone else in charge. But if all of a sudden there was a movement, like a holier-than-thou movement, all right, and, and uh, they were saying, hey, uh, everyone, there's a sign-up in the back. Uh, there's going to be a team who comes in, and they're a bunch of pastors, religious la- leaders, and all this, and they're going to follow you around for like a couple days and just mark down when you sin, just give you some advice about how you can uh, not sin no more. Uh, how many of you guys would sign up for that? Nope, not me. I'm not doing that. I'd be like, no, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to blow it the moment I wrote my, I'm, I'm prideful. Let's just put that when I put my name down, right? Uh, I'm probably going to be angry when they try to correct me, right? Like, there's so many things wrong with me. And so I can't imagine living my life all the time with people just trying to scrutinize everything I do. But Jesus lived under that kind of pressure. And even with that kind of pressure and scrutiny, he lived perfectly. They had to falsify his, his uh, judgment, when they condemned him, his trial was a mistrial, really, because all the, the witnesses were false. In fact, the charges against him were like, he says he's the son of God, and he's like, yeah. And they're like, well, I don't know what to say to that, because it was true. So they falsify that, and so he says, live holy. Now, what does that mean for us? I think the big thing that that says to us is the fact that the way that we live matters. Uh, The way that we live matters. It affects how we share God's word with other people. You know, I I was thinking about this. I I was thinking about the fact that, you know, maybe there are things in our lives that are stopping us from sharing God's word around us. Maybe it's our pride Maybe it's our anger. Maybe there's certain habits in our lives that are blocking us from living out what God is calling us to do. 
It's making it hard for people to see Jesus involved in our life because we're living in certain types of sin or, or walking away or just being secretive and not wanting to, to show his light and his love to those people around us. Your ability to speak in other people's lives can be affected by how you live your life. Jesus says to be innocent, to live holy lives. Not that we're going to be perfect. That's, we're never going to achieve that. But it is important to identify that there's sometimes things in our lives, certain things and habits and attitudes in our life that are going to block people from hearing God's message in our life. And so when we identify those things, we need to correct them. We need to say, God, continue your good work in my heart and my mind. Change my attitude. Change my actions so that I can help people to come to know who you are all the more. That I can show you all the more clearly. Not that people will look at you and say, man, you're great. But then you can then say, no, I'm not. But he is. Let me tell you about him. That's the goal. So he says... The way that we live matters. And what I think about is important with this, too, is it kind of makes us to look inside a bit. When we're looking around and we're saying, why is no one changing? Why am I not getting to pour God's message into anyone? Why am I not being affected for God, or effective for God's kingdom? Instead of just looking out there and saying, well, it's because the world is all messed up. It's their problem, all the social media, all the, all the media, all the big companies, they're coming against Christianity, and that's the reason why the message isn't going further out. That's why I'm not getting out there, and that's why people's lives aren't getting changed. And to you, I would say Matthew 16 says that, 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 that when he's talking to the disciples, that he's going to build his church on the foundation that he is the Messiah, and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not stop his movement, the Christian movement, God's movement, the kingdom of God, will not be stopped by anything that Satan or man has put up. It's going to always progress forward. And so, no, they don't have that victory. Our God is way more mighty than any corporation, any new technology, anything that is out there. No, it's not. It's not that. Maybe it's inside. Maybe it's that we need to change, to be sanctified, to allow God to shine through us just a bit more so that people can say, why do you do that? Why do you, why don't you do that? Why do you live this way? And you can say, because I believe in Jesus, and I think that matters, and I live differently because of that. So Jesus also says this interesting term. He says to be uh, shrewd. Shrewd. I, I, when I read that, I can't help but hear rude, right? Uh, like, well, he's calling us to be rude? That doesn't seem right. <laughs> you know? uh, the, Jesus calls us to be shrewd as a serpent. Like, those are two things that usually you think of serpent, you think of the Garden of Eden, like evil and rude. Like, what's going on here, Jesus? What are you calling us to be? Shrewd. Well, another way to understand that, another translations other than shrewd, it can also be uh, actually uh, translated as wise, wise as a serpent. And so I did some digging about into the, the Greek a bit about why this is uh, saying this. And other ways that it can be translated is not just uh, is to have wisdom, is to um, be timely with wisdom or to be creative. To be, um, I just love that term, timely with wisdom. 
to know when to speak, to when to be silent, about when to progress forward, to when to press forward, and when it's time to just hold back. He says, be smart, be clever with your words. And uh, I got to tell you that over the next uh, six weeks, you're going to have a lot of times where we're going to talk about different uh, ways that we can share God in our community, in our lives. They're gonna, we're going to teach you some things about how you can do that in some very different ways uh, that we think is clever, and hopefully you will as well. But it's all about the fact that we see that there's so many different ways that we can share Jesus in our life and through our life. And so he says, be innocent, but be clever. Be smart about how you're sharing God's word with people. And I think he says something very interesting here as well. He says, you know, uh, going to verse 26, he says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet no one, uh, no one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, do not be afraid of everyone who's out there. The fact that sometimes you are going to be looked at as weird. People are going to judge you sometimes and say, oh, you're a Christian? And they make all kinds of assumptions about you, even though you've never said a thing, even though they've never asked your opinions on things. They're going to take the ideas that aren't, shouldn't be put on you and put them on you. And he says, when those things happen, don't be discouraged. Don't be put down. We have to remember that the guy who started our church, who, who did all this, Jesus Christ himself, lived a perfect and innocent life, very clever, all those things. And yet he still died on the cross. And he didn't say, come follow me into this luxury life. He said, come follow me and grab your cross. And so, yeah, life's going to be hard sometimes, but it's the only life that's good and worth it. That's his promise, is that it will be good. That in the end, we can look at all the suffering that we've walked through, the hard times, and we say, thank you, God, that you were present in all of those moments. I think it's worth uh, mentioning that what he's doing is he's saying, you know, this, this earthly realm right here, that's not all it is. There's so much more to happen afterwards in eternity. And so in the times where life is hard to look up, remember eternity. Look towards that. Remember that there's so much more. You know, this life is momentary, but God is eternal, and he invites us into that eternal being, of being a part of him. And so we mourn when people die. We're sad when people die. But when you're a Christian, you know that's not the end. I, I, I think about it this way. You know, uh, death for a Christian is only sad for everyone else who's left. Because the person who died is with Jesus. He's in eternity. How great is that? We, of course, mourn. We're sad for that because we're going to miss that person. And it's right. we can rightfully mourn. We should never be sad or, or feel like we shouldn't be sad. 
Oh, those feelings are, are good. And, and, and even Jesus himself mourned while he was on this earth. Even before he was about to raise his friend back from the dead, he mourned because he knew that death was not supposed to be a part of our story. It's a natural thing to do. But he also reminds us that that's not the end of our story. That we as Christians, we mourn differently because we have the eternal hope. Then he says something interesting. He says, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He says, listen, all of creation I care for. I take care of it all. But you are more special than any of it. And just like I make sure that the sun rises and the sun sets, just like I make sure that the rain comes, just like I make sure all of these things continue, I care about them, but I care about you so much more. You matter to me, and I will take care of you. And he says he, num- he knows the number of hair on our head, which really highlights that he knows us more than we know ourselves. I don't know how many of y'all know how many hairs you got on your head. But I got to tell you, I'm not counting but he knows that. More than like being wowed by his accounting skills, it's more about the fact that he knows you more than you know yourself, that he loves you more than you love yourself, that he will care for you. And that's why when he calls you into things, you can trust to follow him into those things because he knows you better than you know yourself. And you're saying, God, if you're calling me to step out, to say something to this person, to step into this ministry, to do whatever you're calling me to do, I can trust you because you know me better than I know myself. And even though I have doubts and fears and all these hesitations to do that, God, I trust you. And I believe in you. So I'll step into this. I love this. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You know, God has set aside certain tasks for each one of us, his children, his Christians, to do. They're special, just for you. Set aside for you to get done. Not because he needs us, not because he's like, man, I really hope Greg does that, otherwise it's not going to get done. He's like, no, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to bring Greg with me. I'm going to bring you with me. I'm going to, we're going to do this Sunrise Church. We're, we're going to set this community aside, and that's where my people of Sunrise will go and care for them. It's not because he needs us. It's because he wants to do so much more. He wants to bless us. It's so wonderful when you get to be that person that shares God's message with somebody. When I think about my own journey of faith, I think of the long list of people who have been a part of my life. You know, Father's Day is a great time of reflection, of looking back of how God has worked in your life. And uh, I didn't have a great spiritual father in my life. I didn't have a bunch of dads who showed me the way. Um, I, I just was never given that, and that's fine. But yet I had God constantly working. And there's some people who have, have been a very big part of my life. Some people who have very much poured in, most of Sunrise Church, in fact, have been big people in my life, in my spiritual journey. But there's some people that will never know who I am until we get to eternity. There's some youth pastors in Porterville when I was a young kid who poured into me, got some ideas of that God exists and what that looks like that I will never know my name. I went through their, some of their programs. Uh, 
When I first said the prayer of committing my life to Jesus was at a Billy Graham concert in Fresno with Kirk Franklin. When that happened, way long ago. It was the first time I prayed a prayer and said, God, yeah, I want to follow you. They obviously will never know my name. But there's also a lot of people who do. A lot of people who have uh, spent time with me for a couple weeks, months, years, missionaries who have poured into me, uh, professors who have had me a part of their class and read some very uh, interesting papers that I've typed up late at night and all of that, but have all poured into my life in different ways, who I can say I'm grateful for. It's interesting when we get moments to just pour into other people's lives, to be a part of their story, even if it's not for the long term, yet we can still have some amazing impacts. And so we can be grateful for those people, and sometimes we get to be those people, to care for one another. And so my question for, that we're answering is, who is called? Well, all Christians are called, and to whom are they called? Anyone that's around you. That's who we're called to share our faith with. And so my challenge to you guys today, you know, I always like to leave you guys with a little challenge to do for the week, but um, my challenge for you guys this week is to go into this week with your eyes open, to look around you and say, who is it that God's calling me to share his love with through my actions, through my words, through my life of just being open? Who are you calling me to care for? And to start to pray into that, it always starts with prayer. Something Russ uh, mentions to me uh, constantly uh, when we talk is, uh, you know, sometimes prayer is the best thing that you're going to do today. It's all the ministry. It's the best ministry that you're going to do today is that little 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you're going to do of prayer time. That's where you're going to have the most impact. It's such a humbling thing for me to, to, do, to say and, and to think of uh, working in a church. Like, that's the best you got. <laughs> but... I think we undervalue prayer sometimes, and so that's my call for us this week, is to pray, God, give me your eyes to see the people that I'm supposed to be caring for and sharing your life and your love with. Help me to see them, and help me to start to find ways that I can open my life to them and be intentional with my time with them. And I hope and I pray that as we go through this series through the coming weeks, you will find some strategies and some clever ways that you can start to invite them to come to know Jesus. Even if they never come to church, that's fine. But you get to be that person who nudges them towards God, which is the ultimate goal. So start to dream with God's eyes about who he's calling you to share timely wisdom with, his compassion and his love, and his amazing work, because he is good. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you're never done with us. God, that uh, our relationship to you doesn't end with a prayer. It starts with a prayer. There we say, God, I repent of the things that I have done, that I want to come close to you, that I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And that is the beginning of our understanding of the story that you are working in our lives, God. And I pray that you help us to see the people around us in a fresh new way, that you would help us to pay attention to those people you've planted around us, our coworkers, our bosses, our, our, our friends, our community, our neighborhoods. Help us to see them in a new way that we could say, how can I care for them, Jesus? How, how do you want me to show you to them? Help us to find ways to be open to them, God. 
to share our lives with them, to, to just love on them, to pray for them, God. God, right now, I just I pray that you would place some of their faces and names in our hearts and our minds of who we need to be that person of light to, who we need to care for. And help us to be bugged by that, God. Help us to take it serious that you are on purpose and you are giving us a purpose everywhere we go. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for never giving up on us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.